Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere, it's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. <laughs> nice. G'day and welcome to Not a Knife, the podcast that is all about culture, unity, reviews and banter. This podcast is proudly part of the Ozcast Network, where you can hear other great shows like the Yeah Day podcast, Apple Slice, and Hong Kong Confidential. It is also recorded on the lands of the Wajak people of Perth region, and I wish to pay respects to elders both past, present, and future. Now, it's been a little bit since I've uh, recorded an episode. Uh, in fact, according to the RSS feed, about 20 days. So I apologize for the radio silence. I've been moving house, uh, which is not to say that I haven't been stacking up a bunch of content. Um, I have. I've got a whole bunch of content for you. There's a whole bunch of really great interviews that are coming uh, that have previously been set for the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival. So apologies for the filmmakers and the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival. They will be coming. Unfortunately, I had laryngitis and couldn't record a few extra things that I needed to as well. So all has been happening at once. And then in the meantime as well, there was a Revelation Film Festival, which took up about or two weeks of my time while I moved house and uh, also was a little bit unwell. Um, anyway, that's enough about me. It is August and August this year is the first year that I'll be running Ausgust which is the Australian Film Month that I'll be running on thecurb.com.au. It's a small thing. Basically, every single day, I have presented people with a, an option of uh, or suggested themes to watch Australian cinema. And hopefully, it'll just get people a little bit more excited about Australian cinema and seeking out films that they may not have already seen. I'll talk to you more about that in a moment. Also on this episode, I have an interview with director Judy Reimer and Julian Burnside, and I talked to them when they were in Perth for the, the screening of Border Politics, their documentary that is about immigration and refugees. It's a really fantastic doc, uh, documentary, and it's a great discussion that I managed to have uh, with both Judy and Julian while they were here in Perth. Now, hopefully the audio sounds all right. It was uh, recorded in the Hyatt in Perth, and unfortunately, I did not realize that when uh, I agreed to interview there that I'd be sitting right next to a very, very loud water fountain. Hopefully, the audio has uh, been reduced enough to be able to muffle that sound, and you get a lot out of this particular interview. I certainly got a lot out of meeting these two fantastic minds and discussing their great documentary and what's going on in Australia today and around the world with refugees and asylum seekers. Finally, I'll be talking about Beruz Buchani, who is a writer, a journalist, and he's a refugee. And he's been held on Manus Island for, well, five years, really, since 2013. And he has a new book, which is coming out, called No Friend But The Mountains. And it is about his time in incarceration, uh, under the, the, the hand of the Australian government, basically. And really, it's a fascinating book that I'll talk to you a little bit la about later on. And, of course, because, you know, why not? 
I haven't talked about Elephant Tracks in a while, and there's been some pretty exciting Elephant Tracks news, so I'll wrap up the episode with that. In the meantime, I'll give you the socials right away. Head over to thecurb.com.au, follow us on Facebook, The Curb AU, and on Twitter, The Curb AU as well. And if you want, there's also an Instagram page, The Curb AU. So, Osgust, let's jump into that very quickly. Australian Film Month. Uh, this has been something I've been kind of rolling around in my mind for a little bit. I want to have a month that's dedicated for Australian film. A bit like Shocktober, which is dedicated to, you know, the month of October is dedicated to horror films. People watch a new horror film every day, that kind of thing. And there's a whole bunch of different theme months around the, the world that, that really are fantastic if you love cinema and great for showcasing different genres of cinema that you may not be really that familiar with. So while Australian cinema is not specifically a genre, it is definitely an area where I hope that more people are able to dig into and and appreciate a little bit more because I absolutely love it. As you know, if you follow the website or have listened to the show before, I'm a huge, huge fan of Australian cinema. And while I don't expect that the uh, the interaction will be that big for the first uh, time going around, I do hope that it snowballs into something that's really exciting and, and interesting and the conversation gets out there and gets people talking about Australian cinema. The hashtag that you can follow on social media on both Facebook and on Twitter is Ausgust, A-U-S-G-U-S-T. So hashtag A-U-S-G-U-S-T. I'll stick a link to all of this in the show notes. So what are the themes that I've suggested? Well, again, I'll, I'll stick a link to this in the show notes so you don't have to write all this down as I'm, I'm rattling them off. But today, the 1st of August, you can uh, certainly seek out Indigenous directors. So this is the work of Warwick Thornton with Sweet Country, or Rachel Perkins with Brand New Day, or Ivan Sen with Beneath Clouds. Now, there is a whole bunch more great Indigenous cinema out there that you can certainly seek out, but they're the three films that I really highly recommend seeking out for this first entry and of course if you miss a day or you know you you want don't particularly feel in the mood for a certain film on that day you can certainly shuffle these around as much as you want there's no pressure to watch uh, Rolf to hear days on Rolf Rolf to hear films on Rolf to hear day or anything like that it turns out that Rolf to hear day is the second and I've recommended seeking out Bad Boy Bubby, Alexandra's Project, and Dance Me to My Song. Most of these films are available on streaming services around the world, or if not, you can certainly find them in different ways. I know Dance Me to My Song, look, some people might frown upon me recommending this, but I know that Dance Me to My Song is actually available on YouTube to watch, um, so maybe give it a watch there. It's a fantastic film. I highly recommend spending time with that one. For the third, I've said Action. Let's blow some shit up. This is your chance to watch Mad Max Fury Road again. Because, you know, you have watched Mad Max Fury Road about 50 times already. Let's make it 51 times. It's a great film, and it's a great Australian film. Or there's Trojan Warrior. Or one of my favorites, Dead End Drive-In, which is a uh, Brian Trenchard-Smith film, who's a great Australian director. Certainly uh, one of the best genre directors around in Australia. The fourth is Ben Mendelsohn Day, and while you all know him from Ready Player One or Rogue One, you know, or that show on Netflix, uh, Bloodlines, you know, good on you, he's a great actor, let's seek out some of his earlier stuff, like Idiot Box, The Year My Voice Broke, or Beautiful Kate. 
I know I'll be watching Idiot Box again because it's been a long time since I've seen that and it's a great film. The fifth is a Sunday and so I've recommended seeking out films that are in cinemas right now. Australian films are in cinemas right now. Now this may be a little bit more difficult for the international listeners but for domestic listeners in Australia you've got a wealth of opportunity to go and see an Australian film. Jill Billcock, Dancing the Invisible is a fantastic documentary about the editor Jill Billcock. Brother's Nest is still showing and it's really, really fantastic uh, crime, drama, very noirish by Shane and Clayton Jacobson. Really, really enjoyable stuff. And then there's Breath, which is the film that I'll be seeing because, you know, even though it's been out for ages, so long, in fact, that it's actually come out on DVD as well today, um, I'll be seeing that because I haven't seen it yet. The sixth is Science Fiction Day. So Science Fiction Down Under, Out of This World. We're going to go with Dark City, Predestination, or The Infinite Man. whole bunch of different science fiction films to catch. There's some really, really good stuff that, that is out in Australian uh, films with science fiction. And there's a link in the show notes as well that Travis Johnson from Film Inc. wrote for Gizmodo about science fiction in Australia. The seventh, we're going to go with Outback. That wide, desolate, open area of nothing. Think the opening of Wake in Fright. Think Mystery Road with its open fields of nowhere. Priscilla Queen of the Desert. The bus travelling through sand with a huge dress on the top of it. That kind of thing. That's the outback. It's going to kill you. The eighth, we're going to go with Crooks and Criminals. You know, the, the mythology about Australia is that it was set up as a penal colony. Um, it's partially true, partially not true. Uh but we do have certainly a long history with crooks and criminals and certainly mythologizing them like Ned Kelly and things like that. And, you know, modern criminals like uh, Chopper Reed and, and the guys that are in that, um, the underbelly TV series as well. We do mythologize them just a little bit too much. Well, this is your chance to, to dig into those kinds of films with films like Mad Dog Morgan, which has a great Dennis Hopper performance, Two Hands, which has a great Heath Ledger performance, and then Animal Kingdom, which is just great all around and performances are from really, really great Australian actors in there. It's a smorgasbord of, of talent in that particular film. The ninth is Charles Chevelle Day. Now, Charles Chevelle is one of the oldest directors on this list. He directed films like Jeddah, which was the first Australian film colour, and it was also notable because he cast Indigenous actors in the lead role. Also, in the wake of The Bounty and Heritage as well. He is a really fascinating director and somebody who I haven't really spent that much time with, so I'm looking forward to digging into his work a little bit more. But it's interesting to see the pre-1950s work that was made in Australia before there was that huge drought before uh, between the 1950s and the, the late 1960s where Australian cinema finally kicked back in again. The 10th is Kids Flicks. This is your chance to watch Babe again because it's Babe is a great film and people forget that Babe is an Australian film. Babe, Pig in the City is the George Miller film. You can watch that. It's a, a kid's film too. Although it's a little bit more adult in tone and you'll, you'll want some tissues for that one because it's depressing as fuck. Riptide is also a great Australian film about uh, surfing and it's got Debbie Ryan in it who I understand is a uh, Disney girl, possibly. I'm not too sure, but I know it is on US Netflix. Well worth a watch. 
And if you want something a little bit different and showcasing a good Sam Worthington performance, Paper Planes is really solid. And it's also the first time that you get to see Julian Dennison in film too. It's a really, really wonderful film. The 11th is the AFI slash Actor Award Best Picture winner entry. So we're looking at films like Storm Boy, Looking for Ella Brandy, or Evil Angels as recommendations. There is a lot of things to choose from. Again, if you enjoyed watching Mad Max Fury Road in the action field, you can rewatch it again for this particular entry because Australia is good enough that they rewarded Mad Max Fury Road as being the best film that year. Pretty solid stuff. There's a lot of really great entries in this particular slot, so you've got a wealth of, of brilliant films to watch and dig into here. The 12th is Jack Thompson. Recommend seeking out Peterson, Sunday Too Far Away, or The Sum of Us. He's a fantastic director and one that I really enjoy. Uh, fantastic actor, apologies. And one that I really enjoy sitting down and watching. Sunday Too Far Away is a film that has been on my shame list. So I will be watching that because it is really, you know, looks like to be one of his best performances. So I'm excited to see how he has evolved since then as an actor. The 13th is documentary, Truth in Motion. Now, Australia makes a whole bunch of really great documentaries that you may not know are Australian films, like Casting Jean Benet, which is a great film that's on Netflix. Highly recommend seeking that one out. However, the three that I'm going to recommend are All This Mayhem, which is also on Netflix, US Netflix at least. I'm not sure where it's streaming in Australia, but it's one of my favorite Australian films of all time. I absolutely love it. Sherpa which is Jennifer Peedham's documentary about Mount Everest and the people that helped making climb Mount Everest possible and the trials and tribulations and the, 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 the difficulties that they go through to help get people up the top of this mountain. Fascinating documentary, really, really damning stuff. Americans do not get off lightly in that particular documentary. I'm sorry. The final one that I recommend is Making Venus, which is available uh, to stream from certain places and recommend seeking that one out. It's the one that I'm going to be watching because I've never seen it and I hear it is fantastic. Um, looks at all the difficulties of making a short film. The 14th is sex. Grab a cherry ripe and watch some films about sex. Now we're talking Felicity, Alvin Purple, or if we want to go a little bit more recent, we're looking at Oscar nominee Josh Lawson's The Little Death, which is a fantastic little comedy about different kinks that people have with sex. I love it. I thought it was a fantastic film uh, when I watched it a long time ago. And I might rewatch that one, but I might also rewatch Felicity or Alvin Purple. I'm undecided here. Uh, but most of these sex-related films come out in the, the 70s when sex was a little bit more open on screen. Um, you'll enjoy this one. It's, it's a great entry. The 15th is Brian Trenchard's Smith Day. King of the New Wave. Now, I love his work. He was really, really active in Australia in the 70s and 80s. Made some really fantastic films like his sort of debut feature film, The Man from Hong Kong, which is great, great theme song as well. Or BMX Bandits, which a lot of people think is Nicole Kidman's uh, first film, but it's not. Um, but it's a really, really fantastic film anyway. And Turkey Shoot as well. Go with the original, not the remake, people. He didn't direct the remake. Remake is fine, but the original is much better. Enjoy this day. He's a great director to dig into. The 16th is Toni Collette Day, one of Australia's greatest actresses. Her work can be seen in films like Japanese Story, Muriel's Wedding, and Cozy. 
really has a diverse array, array of uh, great Australian films. Personally, I'll be re-watching Japanese Story because it's been a long time since I've seen that. And, you know, she gives possibly her finest performance in that film. The 17th is an entry which I'm a little bit ashamed to say. I've never watched any of these films. In fact, I rarely watch sports films in general. They are my Achilles heel. I do not like sports films. So we're going to go with How's That? Sports Films for this entry. They're films like Backyard Ashes, Far Lap or Cracker Jack. I don't know what I'm going to watch for this entry. I really don't. And I hope that I make it through. Uh, because, you know, I just struggle with sports films. I really do. One entry I don't struggle with is Nicole Kidman. And then she is going to be our theme for the 18th. And you can watch films like Dead Calm, Australia, or her most recent Oscar nomination in Lion. I'll be seeing Dead Calm at a later stage in, in August. So I might actually rewatch Australia because I think it's a pretty solid flick. And I think it's gotten a bad rap as well. You could also watch Moulin Rouge or BMX Bandits, or if you haven't seen it, one of her more recent Australian films, Strangerland. I wasn't a fan of it, but I know that a fair few people are. The 19th is Australian History Day, and here's where you can dig into a little bit of Australia's past with films like Ten Canoes, looking at Indigenous history, Van Diemen's Land, looking at the history of Alexander Pierce in Tasmania, and a little bit of cannibalism there as well. Or The Dish, which talks about the, uh, the, the impact that Australia had on the moon landing. Really, really fun film. Great performance all around from uh, a bunch of Australian actors as well as from uh, Patrick Warburton and Sam Neill too. The 20th is Nature Fights Back. Now, if you thought that the Outback was going to kill you, then, well, you didn't know much about Australia because it's actually the animals that will kill you. And there are a bunch of animals that will kill you, and this particular entry will show you what they will do. We're talking about films like Long Weekend, Razorback, or Rogue. All creatures coming to take down humans. Fantastic stuff. This is great genre stuff here. Uh, have a lot of fun. My recommendation is watching Long Weekend. Or alternatively, there is a kick-ass 4K release of Razorback. There's just come out from Umbrella Entertainment. Dig into that. It is stunning stuff. 21st is comedy, Cracking Yarns. We're looking at The Castle, Young Einstein, or a recent comedy, Down Under whole bunch of different different comedy to dig into here. Yahoo Sirius's Young Einstein is uh, unfairly maligned. I think it's a great comedy. Watch that and you know with new eyes and and see how unfortunately Australia and the world didn't treat Yahoo Sirius all that well and we you know he's he's kind of a recluse now which is fine. He can do whatever he wants, but I do kind of wish that we got one more Yahoo Sirius film. Whatever you do in this entry, don't watch Crocodile Dundee, okay? Uh, the 22nd is Murder. Now, this entry mostly exists because I have not seen Snowtown. I need to see Snowtown. So I created this entry called Murder, which deals with murder. Snowtown is a pretty brutal and easy film, from what I understand, that is all about murder. I'll be watching that on, well, the 22nd's my birthday. So, you know, what a joyous day to be watching uh, a film about murder. I also recommend seeking out Chopper or Noise. All three different films about murder and three certainly very interesting uh, aspects of that particular theme. 23rd is a token Hollywood actor. Now in Australia we tend to employ a Hollywood actor to help make the film just that little bit more marketable to overseas audiences. We're talking about Dirty Deeds with John Goodman. Welcome to Whoop Whoop with Jonathan Sheck, which you know 
I know it sounds like a bit of a stretch, but it's mostly so I can get you guys to watch Welcome to Whoop Whoop uh, and see that it's actually not a bad film. But also, you know, way back in the, the mid-90s, you have to think about Jonathan Sheck being a successful guy with like films like That Thing You Do. So he was certainly around and about. And finally, there's The Sapphires with Chris O'Dowd. Now, there are other films that you can choose, like ones with Daniel Radcliffe or Clive Owen, uh, for example, but they're the ones that I recommend. Alternatively, you've also got Evil Angels with Meryl Streep, too, if you really want to class it up. Um, but Dirty Deeds, Welcome to Whoop Whoop and the Sapphires, all really solid films. 24th is Women Behind Camera. Australia really does a fantastic job of fostering women directors. We're really good with that. And I know that you know the Gender Matters initiative that Screen Australia has been pushing is out there to try and get the parity up to 50-50. Um, but even then, before then, there have been some really, really solid films from women directors in Australia. And I'm talking about films like Berlin Syndrome, which helped uh, Kate Shortland get the job of directing Black Widow. Good on her. Um, or there's My Brilliant Career, which is kind of taking it back to one of the earliest films directed by women in Australia by Gillian Armstrong. Or there's My Year Without Sex, which was Sarah Watts' final feature. She only made two films, unfortunately, before she passed away. And it's really sad that we lost her because she was and is one of Australia's greatest directors with her films My Year Without Sex and Look Both Ways. I'm a bit more of a fan of My Year Without Sex than Look Both Ways, but they're both well worth seeking out. The 25th is war. Now, Australia's involvement with different wars has been quite extensive throughout the years. World War One, the Boer War, World War Two, Vietnam, all the way up to modern wars. So I'm going to suggest three films that you might not have seen, and I hope that at least one of them everybody has seen, which is Breaker Morant, fantastic, stunning film. There's a great Criterion release, and as of recording, the Barnes & Noble sale is still going on. Pick that up. It's a fantastic-looking disc and a great, great film to dig into. Or there's Beneath Hill 60 or Kokoda as well. We tell some really interesting Australian films about war, and these are three really, really impressive ones. Sure, you can watch Gallipoli, but, you know, I think everybody should have seen Gallipoli already. And if not, you know, then maybe watch that. 26 is Made in Australia. Now, these are films that aren't actually Australian, but they are made in Australia. It's kind of a cheat, this one, because, you know, we, we're talking about films like The Matrix, Thor Ragnarok, or Walkabout, which, you know, what actually classifies an Australian film as Australian? Well, I have thought about this a lot, and I come down to the fact that maybe it has to do with financing, so if the majority of the financing comes from Australia, then it's an Australian film. It doesn't matter if it was made in Australia. If it was financed from outside of Australia, then it's technically not an Australian film. So that's why I've got a film like Walkabout on here, which is a film about Australia, but was actually fin financed by British funds with no Australian dollars going into it. So I don't consider that an Australian film. I know it's slightly contentious. Uh, people can argue about it. You can at me on Twitter and all that kind of stuff if you want to take it up with me. Um, but alternatively, regardless, you know, you can watch that in this particular entry. I will be, um, although I am tempted to give Thor Ragnarok a spin again. 27th is Hugo Weaving Theme Day. And we're talking about films like Last Ride, Healing or Proof. Proof is possibly his finest work. But Healing and Last Ride are also really, really great. 
Hugo Weaving does a lot of really great stuff in Australian cinema, so you have a lot of options to watch his stuff there. Uh, head over to his IMDb page and dig into it. The 28th is horror. Now, you can't have a list of Australian films or themes about Australian cinema and not include horror. Australia is pretty prolific with horror films, even if Australians in Australia don't go and see them. So I'm talking about films like Lake Mungo, which is a great ghost story, The Babadook, which you've probably all seen already, but you really need to rewatch again, or Celia, which is a fantastic film that's kind of lost to time, not exactly the easiest to find to watch, but it's a great one to dig into if you can. The 29th is a different list, which is flicks.com.au's top 25 21st century films. Now, they kind of get the definition of the 21st century wrong because they also include films from the year 2000, but let's not go into semantics here. Um, This is a really interesting list. It's basically 25 great Australian films from the past 18 years. 51 critics were polled, 26 men, 25 women. The list is a really great one. This list allows you to check out Lantana, which is my favorite Australian film of all time, or alternatively, checking out Proposition. And the one Australian film on the list which I hadn't seen is Hail, which is the one that I'll be watching on this particular date. Very much looking forward to it. The 30th is David Gulpalil Day, and the suggested films are Charlie's Country, Rabbit Proof Fence, or Dark Age. David Gulpalil, for those unfamiliar, is one of Australia's greatest actors. He's an Indigenous actor, and his work with Rolf Tahir has been fantastic, especially in Charlie's Country. It's you know one of the great Australian films with one of the great Australian film performances from David Gulpalil. It's a brilliant film. Uh, it's the one that I recommend seeking out. And, you know, there are certainly a lot of Australian films that you can watch that have got David Gulpalil in them. Even Crocodile Dundee. Please don't. Uh, or if you didn't watch Walkabout, you can watch Walkabout in this particular entry. Uh, I'll give it to you for this one time. And then finally, wrapping up, hopefully your ears have, have lasted throughout uh, all this, this talk. And thank you for listening this far. Um, finally, wrapping up is the Aussie New Wave. And the Aussie New Wave is where we've got films like Stone, Bliss, and Don's Party. This is a pretty heavy list here. And again, head over to the link in the show notes to find a little bit more about this particular entry and find out what films you can watch. So that's the lineup for Ozgust the Australian Film Month. It's the first time they're running it. Hopefully you enjoy it and hopefully you enjoy seeking out some of these Australian films. Please head over to the Facebook group for The Curb or hit me up on Facebook or Twitter and let me know if you do watch any Australian films during this month. And if you did, what did you watch? Let me know what you think of them. You don't have to watch 31. Uh, Just one is enough. It's all that matters. You know, start talking about Australian cinema. I, I really am keen to hear what you guys think about Australian cinema and what you watched. So that's enough of me rambling. Uh, let's hear the trailer for Border Politics. And then we'll be coming back with the interview with Judy Reimer and Julian Burnside. Politicians know that if they can make the public fearful of something and offer them protection from that fear, they will gain votes. We face a direct threat to our civilization if we allow large numbers of people from that war-torn region into Europe. 
thousands upon thousands of people threatening our entire way of life. Why do we react so badly when people have the courage to try and come here to seek safety? We cannot be misty-eyed about this. We must have secure borders. I've become very concerned about what Australia is doing to refugees and what the world is doing to refugees. Here we have people who have applied for refugee status without the right to work, and the police say you're not even allowed to live under a bridge. Well, what the hell are they supposed to do? Islamophobia is a big part. I mean, there clearly is a reaction against the refugees and against migration. Poland is not inclined to accept refugees. Slovakia is not. The Czech Republic is not. Hungary is not. Since 9-11, there has been a gradual rolling back of attitudes towards human rights, which is permeating through European countries and through the Americas as well. On an impenetrable, powerful southern border war. The claim is they're always looking for the criminals, but they're going to grab the lowest fruit hanging on a tree. Donald Trump's current policies are a disgrace to this country and a betrayal of its history. What we can offer them here is safety. We stand ready to help offer sanctuary to refugees who need our help. Because it was ten families, children, it was babies. Every single refugee is a human being. I tried to find a way to help him. Hundreds of thousands of people at our borders erecting fences to keep them out was just not doable. Every country that has signed the Refugees Convention has yielded a little fraction of its sovereignty in favour of people who are trying to escape persecution. This is not an insurmountable problem. We are now treating refugees as if the Refugees Convention had never been executed. How do we get back there? One answer is another world war, and nobody wants that. to look at the film? I haven't yet because I'm coming tonight to watch it. Oh, good okay. Yeah, so I thought I I have, you know, been following your work for a long time mm -hmm. and so, you know, I do. Well, you understand Judy is the creative person behind the yeah. film. Yeah. And if I may say so, I think it's turned out very well. <laughs> well, that's good. Um, it's, that's the main fact, thing. You, you can use <laughs> words like masterpiece. <laughs> And you're not just saying that because you're in the no. part of the focus of I it. I can't bear looking at myself. <laughs> I really can't. But even despite the fact that I'm in it, I think it's very good. So how have you dealt with being in the film then? Um, closing my eyes quite a bit. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's what you do. Yeah, yeah. And I'm curious for you, Judy, how the story came about. Like, when did it start and how long have you been going with it? Well, uh, my partner Lois Harris and I made a series of short films which were sort of underground films around about the time of the temper. We couldn't get anybody to pay, take any interest in putting anything on broadcast. So we, um, we got our team together and we all made them for, I think we paid everybody $500 a week because we wanted to contest the things that were forming up in the language like illegal, asylum seeker, um, illegal, um, a queue jumper, all of these kinds of derogatory terms that were just starting at that yeah. time to be, and we wanted to challenge that, and we wanted to find informative people to challenge that. Julian was one of them. Um, so I interviewed him then. And, you know, you watch with frustration as the years go by, and 
also there's, you know, I think there's growing intimidation with the broadcasters about showing this kind of material, so that, so that, you know, anybody actually trying to clear up disinformation in the community has rather a hard job, and we decided that what we really needed to do was make a film that put the activities of Australia in a global context, and we really wanted to look at what the West was actually doing about refugees, mm -hmm. and we thought that the, the terrific guide for that inquiry would be Julian. <laughs> you could have called it How the West Was Lost. How the West Was Lost. <laughs> Which, you know, sounds, it feels like a, a terrible thing to laugh about, but it is, yeah. you know, it's almost farcical how long this has been going on for. Yes. It's crazy. So, you know, one of the things which, uh, I'll read a, a quick tweet, which Beruz uh, Bouchani, who is yeah. unfortunately, you know, he's, he's stuck in this really terrible situation, and his tweet says, Today marks five years of imprisonment for 2,000 innocent children, women and men on Manus and Nauru. For us, this is five years of suffering and 12 young lives cruelly taken. It is countless pleas for justice in Europe. For the government, this is five years of lying, torturing and propaganda. Such mm. a dark day. Yeah. In fact, it's tomorrow, the 19th. Mm. But, yeah. but he's right. He's right. Yeah. In every other sense, he's right. I'm actually reading his book at the moment. So I'm launching it in August, I think. Yeah, I'm very excited. Uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's very going to be very an interesting, interesting read. It is. It is. And you don't realise just how horribly we are treating people and at what cost not only cost to our soul as a country but cost to the taxpayers you know for every person held overseas in the rural manus it's costing the taxpayers five hundred seventy three thousand dollars per refugee per year it's crazy now what's new start twelve thousand dollars a year yeah and and the arguments already about that as yeah. well <laughs> yeah yeah they want to reduce it i worked out actually the um the, uh, the Status Resolution Support Service, the SRSS, which is the sort of uh, benefit that uh, refugees in the community can apply for whilst their refugee status is being decided, it is a little less than 90% of the new start allowance. And so it's like $35 a day, yeah. something like that. They're meant to live on that because they're not allowed to work. And I, I worked out that Peter Dutton's parliamentary salary is $949 a day and and he went to a he went to a refugee international refugee thing in Malaysia I think um, for six five or six days his expenses which we paid were $8,000 a day oh far out yes so with all of that like you've been you've been working in this field for a long time and working with people who are in terrible situations for a long time how do you how do you grapple with that where there's really been no change and it's gotten worse over time? How do you deal with that? Well, I'm not a quitter. <laughs> so, I mean, it's frustrating, of course. But um, I worked out a while back that uh, if you keep trying, you might win. If you give up, you won't win. So that's, that's a good philosophy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And what about you? Like, uh, when you're telling this story, when you, you're travelling around the, the world and filming some pretty terrible events, mm -hmm. how do you deal with it as a director? Well, um, I feel very passionately that the, um, that, that the story about the shifts in attitude in the West really needs to be told. So 
that overrides anything else, really. You just really feel like the, these stories need to be out there. I think there's been a lot of stories... I, you know, I worry about um, the audiences having sort of refugee fatigue. How can they? You know, the circumstances are still there. Mm. They're still the same. So you've got to try and find another angle that's going to... So I think one of the things... A couple of the things that we've tried to do in the film is turn the... Turn the um, the, the lens on the West, but also appeal to decency, which seems to be being completely lost in this matter. Well, that's that's one of the, the issues that I've personally dealt with myself in the sense that I bought my parents' tickets to go and see Chasing Asylum when it came out, and there was Q and A's and alongside it, and I'd already seen it, and I bought tickets for them because they are very right leaning and. My dad's argument at the end of it, well, was they've got fans there, so what's the problem? And it's like, well, you've kind of missed a heck of a lot of it. What does that even mean? Well, they could there. You mean there's a small (laughs) subset of the community who think these people are okay? Yeah. Well, whoopee-doo. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, where does that get you? Yeah. But But that's the hard thing is trying to convert people who, you know, trying to find the empathy in the people who... Are voting for against, you know, or rather voting for asylum seeker policies that do not assist the asylum seekers. Yeah. And and um, most of the people who are anti-asylum seekers have never actually met one. Um, it's very interesting because I mean, you know, if you look across Australia, you'd reckon Queensland is probably the most right-leaning of all the states, and yet there was that Sri Lankan family from Biloela. Biloela. Biloela, yeah. Which they um, they were raided in the early hours of one morning and the parents were taken in and I think the father has been removed from the country. They broke up the family and the whole town of Biloela came together to try and protest against what the department was doing to them. Because they know these people as people. Yeah. Right? So, is it part of the, the nature of the way that Australia deals with asylum seekers that you know it's almost inbuilt that people don't get to engage with asylum seekers and get to meet them in some way so that their empathy isn't built up. Pretty much. Uh, I mean most people don't get a chance to meet asylum seekers and since 19 July 2013 uh, any asylum seekers who turn up in Australia have been forcibly taken to Manus or Nauru so, you know, and try getting there, you know. Try getting a visa to go to Nauru to visit them. Lots of luck. Yeah. Eight, eight grand to apply, and it's not, it's not refundable if you miss out. Um, anyway, so uh, we... People need to meet refugees in order to... Under, I mean, my wife and I have had refugees living at home with us since late 2001. And the interesting thing is you discover they're just like ordinary people. Some of them are great, some of them are less than great. They've all got good points, they've all got bad points. They're just... Yeah, yeah. And if only we can just, you know, the greater populace can see that. I'm curious, as you're travelling around the world filming these stories, what things did you expect and what things surprised you as you're you're heading along? Um... I think that surprised me and Julian's got a different response to that, I think, but um, I, I was very interested to see 
the activities of various groups of people on uh, Lesbos, small island, you know, 1.5 million people came through the island on their way to Europe, um, an incredible, um, incredible public response of compassion, really. You know, old ladies in small towns firing up hot water and making soups and those kinds of things to keep people going on their journey. And then a real commitment by a group of people in Metalini to prove to the government that they could actually run a facility that didn't need police and didn't need razor wire and didn't need anything because the people could just be there and be looked after by the community. And that, I thought, was an amazing... You know, when you think about what's happening in our country, it's kind of the direct opposite, really. Mm. Yeah. And the reason Lesbos gets so many people is that it's only, what, four kilometres off the coast of Turkey. Turkey hasn't signed the Refugees Convention, and so Lesbos is a natural jumping point to get into Europe. Mm -hmm. um, but the the people who live in Lesbos have done amazing things. They have done exactly the opposite of what Australia has done. They, they have a, a lighthouse there where it was manned 24 hours a day. If they saw boats with refugees heading that way, they'd go out and rescue them. Right. No turn backs, they'd just rescue them. That's inspiring, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 It's, they remembered that they were human beings and the refugees are human beings and all the rest follows. What about for you, Julian? What, what surprised you? I think the big surprise was Scotland. Scotland is really doing incredibly well. Okay. Scotland has a population about the same as Sydney. Um, and when we were there in the previous 12 months, they had settled in the community more than 1,000 Syrian refugees. And when I say settled them, they've embraced them. They've really made them feel a part of the community. And... Um, a lot of the Scottish people I spoke to said, look, when I said, you know, we're doing this, you're doing that, how do you manage it? They said, look, they're human beings, they need our help. And I thought, wouldn't it be nice to hear an Australian politician speak like that? <laughs> yeah. Recognising the most basic and obvious point, they're human beings, they need help. I just want to go back to what you said about your dad. Yeah. You know, it's that what has been seeded into the public consciousness, I believe, that is truly, truly despicable, is the notion that people seeking asylum are somehow cheating or deceitful or trying to get something that they don't deserve. Mm. And, and so that kind of comment really just drives it home to me that, you know, if people truly believe that, that these people are despicable and that they're, they're not worthy of our help, then you know you can you can sort of understand the public attitude. And another thing that I think is very important in all of that is leadership. So that you can see in Scotland, the first minister stands mm. up in the house and talks about the importance of you know Scotland will stand and look after these people. Mm. You see the same in in Germany with with Angela Merkel. And and I was surprised at how directly important leadership is for the public attitude. Mm. Well. What concerns me is that, you know, we're likely to have an election, you know, not far away. Yeah. And regardless of who's going to be the leader, whether it be Turnbull or Shorten, they're both really kind of got the same policies. And it doesn't help when you also have somebody like Albanese coming out and, you know, basically saying, hey, it's a good idea. <laughs> is there hope in the future for Australia at all? 
Well, you know, I think the only hope is actually now left with the public. Okay. And so the public really needs to turn up the volume. I mean, it's time for protest about this matter. For those of us, and there are many, one of the things in releasing this film that I've learned is that there are many people in Australia beavering away, trying to help, doing all kinds of things, stepping into the role that the government should be playing. And those people's voice should be heard much more than it is. Mm. So we've got to kind of, I mean, we were at Brunswick Head's Picture House over the weekend and there, were, there was a, a group of women there who visit their local member every Thursday and hold a vigil between four and six and deliver a letter to him. And they've been doing that for two and a half years. Wow. <laughs> and you think, you know, is this man ever going to listen to these women? <laughs> no, what's happening now is that the police are turning up and dragging them away. <laughs> That's terrifying. Mm. But it goes back to something... But it, it looks, it's ter- the terrifying thing underlying it all is we have a government who are prepared to vilify and mistreat... Mm innocent human beings and any any person who thinks that a government will stop at that innocent group of human beings they need their heads read they need to reread a bit of history because all a government needs to do is to make any group unpopular and no matter that they're innocent of anything they will be badly treated and you know it's it's frightening to see the template of australia applied to the u.s where yeah and there's a it's a direct correlation where you know Trump had basically said to Turnbull, "You're worse than I am," and yeah. then applied that concept to what's going on there, which is simply frightening. It really mm. is. Um, but it goes back to one of the things that you've continually said, which is write letters to your constituents mm. and to, to your MPs. Yeah, to your yeah, MPs yeah, yeah, and yeah. well, sorry, you're not constituents. Yeah. To the MPs, yes, <laughs> and then you know continually ask them what yeah. their opinion is. Yeah, and but the the tricky bit, and I think it's a difficult thing for a film like this, is getting people to listen who already have a view. Now, you know, I mean, the the the, the thing was set pretty early on by John Howard. Um, the Tampa episode was his attempt to regain a bit of electoral support, and um, you know, it led to a standoff, and. So the standoff meant that a bunch of us went to the federal court to try and get it resolved. The judgment of Justice North in the federal court was handed down 2.15 in the afternoon in Melbourne on the 11th of September 2001. And eight hours later, the attack on America happened. All of a sudden, John Howard's calling both people illegal. His, his electoral tag that year, that November, was we'll decide who comes to the country and the circumstances in which they come. And he came back with a, an improved majority. And, and it was all playing to the fear that people had because of what happened in America. And it's just... And it's dishonest. Yeah, it is. It really is. And, you know, obviously there's the, the old rhetoric that politicians aren't really honest, but, you know, in this kind of thing, you really, you really aim for honesty and you, you try and find it as much as possible. You'd hope so. And that's why, as Judy said, the First Minister of Scotland has actually taken a really, really good and principled stand. She's actually said what is going on, and she's behaving like a decent human being. So one of the things which I've... Because I you know, I donate to different places to, to try and help out with asylum seekers and things like that, so I'm well and truly in the bubble of, you know, mm-hmm. supporting asylum seekers and trying to make life a, bit, a little bit easier for them. 
But how do you break through the other bubbles? Is this, how do you, you know, with films like this, do you hope that you're able to, to crack through by showing where people have come from and, and the journey that they're taking? Yeah, I mean, I guess this is, this is what Lois and I as filmmakers think is doing our bit with some of the skills that we have. And, and I think it's time for everybody to really consider what they can do because somehow, you know, the, 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 um, the political response to asylum seekers currently is bizarre. And somehow we have to persuade them that there's votes in a better opinion. And the only way you can do that is by is collective action. I mean, that's all that's left to us. Mm. I mean, if I take my wonderful women turning up at their member for two and a half years, I mean, you know, there needs to be more of them doing that. <laughs> yes, definitely. Mm. And Julian, what do you see that people need to do to try and help out a little bit more? I, I really don't know. Um, I mean, I've been banging away at this, trying different ideas for 17 years. Yeah. I still have not worked out the right way of doing it. <laughs> um, but I figure if enough people keep active, then someone will stumble on the thing that clicks it. Sure. I mean, you start with this idea, Australians are decent people. Um, we're behaving indecently because politicians have lied to us. Um, our politicians are not only dishonest, they're also hypocrites because they all lay claim to be Christians and yet they're not behaving like Christians they're contradicting basic Christian teaching as I recall it um, so how long does it take before the message gets through I don't know uh, just have to keep on trying well that's it, you have to, you have to keep on pushing mm. you yeah. really do Yeah. and every now and then something like Villarela will happen and people will suddenly think oh this is terrible, this is not what we do whether that will make a difference depends on timing and accident and so on. But it really is despicable that politicians like Dutton and Morrison and Turnbull make themselves electorally popular by deliberately mistreating innocent human beings. Mm. And interestingly, now this is just a challenge, <laughs> um, I have been calling Dutton, Morrison and Turnbull dishonest hypocrites for years in public. Yeah. They have not dared sued for defamation. Guess why? Well, <laughs> that is that is yeah yeah that's that's a frightening thing. Well, I won't take up too much more of your time. I'm just curious. What is the one thing that you hope that people take away from the film? That you know, if they can watch it and they can say, "All right, this is the one thing that I need to to you know instill in my life." Um, I don't think it's a left or right wing matter. I think the matter um, in front of us is one of human decency. And I think that, that is the, that's the appeal that I hope the film makes to people's thinking. And um, I think, I think you know, we have got to behave more decently towards people in need than we do. Mm. And that's what I hope people take away from the film. That's a fair comment. Mm. Yeah. And I think they will if they come and see it. I mean, actually, I would challenge anyone who disagrees with my position on asylum seekers, I challenge them to come and see the film and then see if they still hold to their original position. 
I'd be dragging my dad along to go on set. Good. So Good. See if Good. he still thinks that, you know, just because they had a fan, yeah. you know, they're okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, it still does my head in about that. Yeah. Um, well, and, and invite him or any other of the people who listen to your podcast who disagree with my views, challenge them to write to me explaining why I'm wrong. I mean, I'm, I'm always open to changing my opinion. Sure. If I learn different facts, but I think they're wrong. Do you, do you still reply to people and challenge their ideas? Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah. It keeps you very busy. Yeah. <laughs> I get lots of, I mean, I hate mail oh, and yeah. Twitter and that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so of course. Yeah. Oh, I think as a matter of simple respect for their views, if they, if they write saying that I'm an idiot or you know, my views are wrong, well, of course I'll write back and explain why... I hold those views. Yeah, it's good. It's good, and so, you know, hopefully, I've got a piece in the Guardian today because of the fifth anniversary, and I noticed in the comments someone has said, "Oh yes, sort of typical Burnside, blah blah blah." <laughs> so I've replied to him saying, "Tell me where I have stated anything that's incorrect," and yet they probably won't reply. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not. It's interesting because um. You know, I used to answer all the hate mail and, and I found people came around pretty quickly and then social media started and, you know, I get trolled like anyone and, um, and so I sent direct messages to some of the main trolls inviting them to come to my chambers for a glass of wine and we'll discuss it all. Only four of them responded and none of them turned up. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> What does that tell you? Well, exactly. <laughs> I'm still working out. Yeah. <laughs> so the last question, because I like to focus on Australian culture and I like to find out what piece of Australian culture you both are really interested in or would like to promote a little bit more, whether it can be a movie, book, um, a personality, anybody, who you think somebody should really dig into learning more about. It's a broad question, I know. <laughs> I don't think I understand the question, actually. So if there's a book that you like that you think more people should read or a movie that you like that you think more people should see, what is that? Um, I like all of Peter Carey's books. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not big on movies, so I probably don't have a worthwhile view about that. Is there one particular Peter Carey book that you like the most? The one that left the biggest mark, I think, was Bliss, because that was the first of his that I read, and then Oscar and Lucinda, which I thought was a masterpiece. It's a great book. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, that's a great answer. That's all you need to say. <laughs> what about you, Judy? Mm, it's hard for me to say that. <laughs> it's, very hard, no, it's very hard to say that. It doesn't have to be the best, just something that... Well, one of the things that I thought was... I mean, I made a film about it, I thought it was so culturally significant, was um, the Whitlam purchase of Blue Poles. Right. Which, I guess, was the centrepiece of setting up a, um, an international gallery for us to be able to observe art in, and I thought that was a particularly significant act mm. in the Australian landscape. Well, definitely, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well... Thank you very much both for your time. I really appreciate it. I'm excited to watch this film tonight. I really am. And, and hearing what the audience has to say as well. Because yeah. when Eva Warner came across for Chasing Asylum, there was some curly questions in Perth, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. No, no. No yeah. question is too curly. No, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
Incidentally, I was going to say, um, Judy had me go to Sydney a week or two ago for two sort of opening nights at the Randwick Ritz Cinema, and they were both sold out in an auditorium of 800 people. Oh, that's great. It's incredible. John Howard's actions on the Tampa. What happened to the others? The thing is to use military force uh, against uh, refugees. Isn't that uh, a little overkill? Spokesman for the line that owns the ship says Australian SAS troops are in danger of breaking the laws of piracy. Undoubtedly, this is the most popular decision as far as the Australian public are concerned the government made during its reign. The captain, before entering Australian waters, yet sent out a distress signal. Clearly our solution was, um, well it wasn't only farcical, it was, um, it was immoral. I wish that this problem were not out. That is the opening to The Herd 77%, one of their finest songs. It is a great, great song and a song that's all about refugees and what John Howard's actions did to refugees in Australia. It's pretty devastating. You heard Julian Burnside talk about some of the things that, that John Howard mentioned way back when he was Prime Minister. And I'm ashamed to say that, you know, uh, there was a certain time in my life where, you know, it was when John Howard went up against Mark Latham, which, retrospect, I'm glad that I kind of didn't vote for Mark Latham, but I did vote for John Howard's Liberal Party because I was like, well, that's a party that should be right for us in Australia. I was really ignorant then and I see the world through better eyes now and it's thanks to music like Elephant Tracks that I do see the world in a different way. Elephant Tracks, which you've you know heard me mention multiple times before, they're the place where The Herd, Astronomy Class, Earth Boy, Horror Show, uh, Elfresh the Lion, Hermitude, a whole bunch of really great Australian artists are homed. Or housed, rather. They have recently turned 20 years old. And they are celebrating with their 20th birthday. They've got a bunch of shows that are hitting in November and December. And really, if you can, head along and go and see them. Because it's going to be some of the best shows you'll ever get to see. Melbourne, Brisbane and Sydney. Melbourne, the Friday, the 9th of November. Brisbane, Saturday, 17th of November. And Sydney, the 8th of December. Really great festival-like lineups that are going to be going on there. They're also having a set of talks as well uh, called The Elephant in the Room, which is Elephant Tracks talking about their history, the studio, touring, and the moments in between the tours and the studio life. Melbourne, the 7th of November. Uh, Brisbane, 16th of November. And Sydney, the 6th of December. Horror Show and Hermitude and Earthboy are doing solo shows as well. Uh, Horror Show, 1st of November in Sydney and 6th of November in Melbourne. Hermitude, 8th of November in Melbourne and the 20th of November in Sydney. And uh, Earthboy, the 10th of November in Melbourne and the 21st of November in Sydney. 
really great artists, really great songs, really great music. Highly recommend going to see them if you can. The very first Q jumper. It was immigrant labour that made Australia plump. But enough is enough. Whiteys go pack your stuff. Don't wanna live in England? That's fucking tough. I'm sick and tired of this redneck wonderland. Most you stay silent and I can't understand. I just can't understand. It's time for you to wake up. This country needs a fucking shake up. Wake up. Finally, keeping with the theme of border politics and Australia, I'm gonna recommend a book. Now, I haven't recommended a book on this show before, but the show is called Not A Knife. So technically, it's about everything that isn't a knife. I haven't really delivered on that concept yet. I'm working on it. There's more episodes to come. This particular book that I'm going to recommend is by a writer, a journalist, and a refugee, Baruz Bouchani. He is currently held in Manus Island. He has been there since 2013. He is a refugee, is a legitimate refugee. He's written a book called No Friend But The Mountains. It is uh, translated by Dr. Omid Tofagani, uh, who translated from Farsi, which was written by Bouchani himself, and some pretty horrendous uh, situations. There is a really fascinating Guardian article about how Bouchani wrote the book, the book and what difficulties he went through writing the book. I highly recommend reading that. I'll stick it in the show notes. He is somebody who is a bit of a hero in some regards because he has been through so much and is speaking out against the Australian government from inside one of the worst things that Australia has ever done, which is keeping legitimate refugees, legitimate asylum seekers in a hellhole in the middle of nowhere where there have been countless deaths. Uh, In total, there have been 40 deaths since 2010 of asylum seekers or refugees. Specifically on uh, Manus Island and Nauru, there have been 14 deaths. Now, I'll stick a link into the show notes as well so you can read more about these unfortunate people who have taken their lives or have died in uh, terrible situations, uh, usually associated with Australia not providing enough care. Okay, and allowing people to be sick and die from wounds that they get from the terrible place that they're living in. Reza Barati, for example, who died on the 17th of February 2014, died of head injuries on the way to a hospital in Papua New Guinea uh, after protests in Manus Island. That is a pretty devastating event there, which in the documentary Chasing Asylum, which was directed by Eva Orner, I recommend seeking that out. It's available on streaming services. You see first-hand footage of that particular event, and it's a terrifying event. It is genuinely terrifying. 77 people were injured. 12 seriously injured. A few people lost their eyes in that event. This is stuff that's occurring in Australia's name. There are people who have died from self-immolation or from setting themselves on fire or from a whole bunch of, of terrible, difficult things. Now, if you can imagine 
being in a situation where you're escaping something that is so bad that your family or your, your life could be taken away from you, that you could be killed. And then you were put on a remote island where a country like Australia, which is signed up to the Human Rights Convention and therefore agrees that you know everybody has equal human rights and if you are a refugee or an asylum seeker, then you are afforded the rights of citizens around the world and, and allowed to be given safety and refuge in countries like Australia or America or the UK. You know, if you are escaping places like Syria and manage to get to a place close enough like Australia, like if you're going through Malaysia or Indonesia or something like that and try and risk your life to get here on a boat and then you are put in a prison for five years that is worse than the place that you came from, you know, I just don't know how to comprehend that Australia as a whole still sits by and is like, yeah, what we're doing to refugees is no big deal. It's no problem at all. I've had countless discussions with family members and friends about this. And, you know, one of the things that I think that we all forget is that the hate that you walk past, the aggression that you walk past is the hate and the aggression that you can accept and can condone. And it appears that Australia and both the major political parties, Labour and Liberal, are very much in line with going, you know what, these are people who aren't really people, their lives aren't worth anything, so we're just going to stick them out of sight, out of mind, not even think about them. And... That's devastating. It really is. The input of immigration to Australia via uh, refugees or asylum seekers is so low. And yet we spend so much money keeping these people on these uh, remote islands like Manus Island or Nauru. And, you know, for what? So more people don't die by boats coming to Australia? like uh, boats full of asylum seekers coming to Australia. It doesn't make any sense. Why not spend money on trying to make it easier and, and set up a processing place somewhere for people coming to Australia so they don't have to take that journey or, or you know, risk their lives going over treacherous waters? Because a lot of those 40 deaths that have occurred since 2010 are also associated with deaths at sea. And yes, the deaths at sea have kind of stopped, but that doesn't stop the pain and intergenerational trauma that is laid upon people. And we're not just talking about people like men. We're talking about men, women, and children. And I'm not saying it like men, you know, men are men, so therefore they can handle it. They can't. They can't handle it. These human beings doesn't matter if they're a man, a woman, or a child. We should not be doing this to them at all. But if you're Australian, we are doing it, and it's in our name. Our taxpayer dollars are going towards this. If you're American, and you know, I, I don't need to obviously tell you what your 
president is currently doing. You already know that. And and I see American friends talking about it online and speaking out against it. Do the right thing. Write to your MP, write to your senator, write to your, your local representative and ask them, what is your opinion on this? What are you going to do to change it? And push them for an answer. Because the more of us that do that, then the greater the chance that somebody like Berus Bouchani is able to be out and free in the world. So pick up his book, No Friend About the Mountains. It has come out on yesterday, 31st of July. It's out there to read. I've started reading it. It's a really great book. It really is. It's not an easy read at all. But nor should this be. You know, we are going through a major global shift at the moment. The amount of displaced people around the world is massive. It's huge. It's phenomenal. So us, the privileged people in first world countries, need to stand up for their rights of asylum seekers, refugees, people looking to try and escape war and try and reach safety. We need to stand up for them because nobody else will. Certainly our politicians won't. It is terrifying to see how far right politics in the world has lent. America is so far right. The United Kingdom, so far right. Australia, so far right. That, you know, unfortunately, comparisons to the acts of what the Nazis did back in World War II is starting to feel a little bit apt. And that's terrifying. And when Donald Trump says to Malcolm Turnbull that you're worse than I am, and he learns from that and then starts implementing those kinds of things that Malcolm Turnbull has put in place with refugees in Australia, we're in for intergenerational pain. You know, one of the things which I thought that Australia had learned was that when we said sorry to the stolen generations in Australia, we wouldn't do those things again. But we have been doing those things again. Both sides of politics have been doing those things again. Labor and Liberal have been doing those things again. I fear the fact that maybe in 30 or 40 years' time, we won't be apologizing to the acts that we did to the refugees now. And they deserve an apology right now for what is being done in Australia's name. They do, because it is horrific. It really is. And I don't always mean to leave you guys on a sour note with these particular shows, like I did with the the one where I was talking about um, Nanette. You know, that was a great episode. I really enjoyed recording that one, especially given uh, everything in my life that I revealed in that particular episode. And thank you for everybody that reached out to me for that one. I, I appreciate it. But I don't mean to always end these shows on this kind of stuff. But when I'm talking to somebody like Julian Burnside, who is one of the smartest minds in Australia, and he is lost for words as to what we can do, I feel like my little bit that I can at least do is that for the hundred or so people that listen to this show, and thank you for listening, I do appreciate it. I know that sound quality is shit at times and all that kind of stuff, and you grit and bear it and all that kind of stuff, I appreciate it. Uh, I hope to get better with all this kind of stuff. I do. <laughs> I know I've been doing podcasting for four years, but, uh, you know, I'm getting there. I'm still learning. Um, but 
every small little bit that I can do to help make these issues more aware, then I'll do it. I'll try and I'll do it. Anyway, thank you for listening to this episode of Nod Knife. I appreciate it. And thanks for your patience as well. Uh, I don't mean to keep 20 days in between episodes, but it's just what's happened. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I have some really exciting things coming up. I've got some great interviews along the line. Uh, also, you know, I know it's a bit late, but I'll do a wrap-up of, of Revelation Film Festival soon as well because there's a bit of a crossover with films that are showing at Revelation that are showing at the Melbourne International Film Festival that I highly recommend people seek out. Films like Strange Colours, which is one of my favourite films of the year. One of the best Australian films and one of the best films in general. Okay, so finally, you can find me again on social media on The Curb AU on both Facebook and on Twitter. Head over to the website, thecurb.com.au. And if you like what I do, leave a rating or review on all of the places that you can uh, listen to this show, Stitcher Radio, um, Google Podcasts, if you listen on that. I don't know who does. Apple Podcasts, anything that's out there that you can listen, leave a rate and review would be fantastic. If you want to go the extra step, you can also head over to patreon.com slash thecurb and... You know, throw a dollar here or there just helps the show go along. And the more that, you know, that builds up, the more I'm able to actually get more voices on this particular show or the website as well and more diversity. So that's it for Not Knife. Thank you very much for listening. I appreciate it. And I'll see you on the next episode. And as they say on The Simpsons, I see you've played Knifey Spoonie before. Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzcastNetwork.com for details.